And we're live with the Musical Minds Radio Hour. <laughs> this is Eric. This is Jake. Hello, and welcome to the Musical Minds Podcast, where it is our job to flesh out the mindset and ways to cope with the struggles that ensue in becoming a high-performing musician. Hosted by Eric Reinhardt and Jake Pietroniero. Now let's get on to the show. We were talking off air about how we had no planned things to talk about. So So we're just going to kind of wing it. (laughs) Just rapid fire. Yeah. Um, So... um, Maybe we can maybe we can start with the musical or the the mental practice sort of things and uh, see how long see how long we talk about that yeah. and then, then we might good. shift topics. Um, yeah, it's something I've been thinking a lot about in the last last week or two. So I'm I'm working on memorizing um, the prelude to the fourth box week, mm-hmm. which is um, it's not incredibly long. It's like two pages of music, but it's all arpeggios for the most part. Mm-hmm. And they're all very similar figurations of the those of the key of the arpeggios. Yeah. Um, so it's as you're playing it, it's easy to mess stuff up, <laughs> especially like, from memory when you don't have the music in front of you. Like getting lost and thinking that an arpeggio goes with another grouping or something. Yeah, exactly. And just mm-hmm. like that chord progression, you know, it's uh, not always easy to figure it out. Sort of that's sort of a notorious, notoriously weird movement to memorize. So um, then, uh, so then, how does the mental practice? How is that? You've been using that. So yeah, it's it's about. Um, I figured out I'm like a super visual learner, for at least music yeah. stuff. So the mental practice yeah. that I've been doing doing for that that'll help me um, memorize a little better because for me at least like the mental practice is essentially to memorize stuff faster Mm -hmm. that makes sense uh so usually i'll do it's really in any in any context but if you have those free music software programs like i use muse score like one of the ways i'll mentally practice is like you have a you have a blank page and you'll just try to replicate the, the box suite by visualizing the notes on the page and like writing out the writing out the notes. Oh, so you'll try and rewrite what is actually what it actually is and then kind of gauge how accurate your transcription of of it was. Yeah, exactly. Um so that'll be one that'll be one way and then you know, sometimes it'll it'll be about running it through in your head uh and looking and visualizing those notes on the page and if you falter at all, it means that you know the memory is not quite there. You try to do it quickly, and sometimes mm-hmm. I'll do, I'll do that, and I'll do like fingerings, the fingerings that I have. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to visualize the music and hear it at the same time. So it's just like a sensory overload a little bit, um, and mm-hmm. you can do it all away from your instrument, which I found, like it's really really hard. I think I'm not very good at it yet, but it's um, really helpful especially when you come back then you're like have something comfortable that you're used to which is your instrument and you can uh, find it a little easier you also don't have to spend 10 hours actually playing through the piece on your instrument you can like go away from it Mm -hmm. which i find really helpful just because it's physically strenuous you know yeah yeah so give your body just a break 
Um, I, so you, you talked about like the way you visualize music and, um, I'm curious if you do, if you think about like sheet music and the staff and like the chords being annotated as such on the staff paper, because for me, I tend to use the, um, use the keyboard itself, um, mm. as, as my like visual thing. And do you use that? Because I know everybody has to get training, um, for piano, but I don't know if it sticks as strongly as like a staff that you see all the time. Do you mean like, do I visualize my fingers on the string instead? Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, or the way you think about the music is purely the sheet music itself. Oh, let's see. Um, you know, I think it's actually a lot different. That's, I noticed that in my lesson the other day, she had me play um, from the page and then play away from the page. And I noticed just like physically, it feels very different because like, obviously when you're looking at the music, it is about what's on the page. And mm. when you're away from it, it you're right. It becomes like what your fingers are doing. Yeah. You feel naked, <laughs> like very yeah. exposed, you know? Yeah. Do you, um, when you um, play away from the page or um, you said that you will look at your fingers or visualize your fingers if you're doing mental practice, mm -hmm. um, is it um, much more difficult without the visual component? Like uh, in this past week, one of uh, these people that I follow has been really advocating not looking at, down at your hands at all, which is like really hard. Uh, hmm. And you're supposed to just look at the sheet music. Um, Why? He, um, he wants you to develop a spatial recognition of your instrument and the gaps between certain figures. And, and so he'll, he'll use the groupings of three black keys as a way to like orient yourself where you are. Cause you can, once you find the group of three, then you can find FGAB or the group of two, you can find CDE, which are just right underneath those. And it admittedly, it can be kind of disorienting looking up and looking down, looking up, looking up, looking down. And, um, yeah. but so, um, and I remember you talking about like playing with the lights off, mm. um, is looking at your hands helpful or like visualizing your hands for you? Ah, man, I, I don't know if I've thought about it in that way before. I think, um, I don't think it matters as much for string players to be quite honest with you. Uh -huh. Like, because it, especially it's out to the side, especially the viola, you know? Yeah. It's not like right. It, it should be, it's, yeah, it's off to the side. It's off to the left. So you're not yeah. always looking at your fingers anyway. And it's a way smaller space to cover than your huge piano. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense to me why, like, if you're a pianist, you probably need to look down a little bit more because you have no, like, reference point, really. Right. I mean, you did talk about the black key, white key thing, but aside from that, like we have four strings and we have positions. You know, we yeah. have the our our wrist will hit the hit the viola when we're in third position, and that's yeah. like a it's a good reference point. Hmm. So no, yeah. I don't think I don't think I I don't think it matters as much. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I, I was experimenting with this morning because I'm playing this waltz by Chopin, and it'll jump down like 
to, I think it's the second octave and then come back up to the next octave. And, and like, you're constantly doing this kind of stride style on the piano. And, um, I think part of, part of me, uh, what I was noticing is that when I don't let my visual system kind of be the predominant thing that's making sure I'm getting the notes right, my ear becomes much more engaged and realizes when I'm playing wrong. Um, because I, I have like a lazy ear. I, I was just gonna ear. just gonna say that actually, like not that you have a lazy ear, but that uh, <laughs> for like big leap stuff, I think um, when you're when you're first learning something, right? Like yeah, you use visual cues to figure out like where exactly that note is. But <laughs> I think yeah. pretty quickly, like your muscle memory takes over, and that then you can just find it by feel and by sound. Mm. You don't mm. need to look at it as much. So maybe like for five times you practice the huge gap and you look at where it is if you're missing it. And then once you hit it pretty consistently while you're looking at it, then you can take a step away. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. So what's your, yeah. what's your thing with mental practice so far? Or well, right now? Um, I had... I've gone on several meditation retreats in the past couple of years and um, I've noticed that when I get into these like deep modes of relaxation and then, and then I've spent several days away from the piano that I can visualize the keyboard and um, I can run through different things. Maybe it's a song that I'm working on um, in this last 10 day retreat. Um, I was doing this exercise in my head where I, um, I was, I would do every major seventh chord starting from C and I'd go through the circle of fifths, F, B flat, Whoa. E flat. So you can do the four note chords in both hands, which is eight notes, or you can split up and especially for piano, you have to start thinking about voicing. And mm. so I would put like the, the, the tonic and the fifth in the left hand and then the third and the seventh in the right hand uh, to have like open voicing. And then so I do all those open voicings in my uh, in my head all throughout the circle of fifths. So and, you, that's what you did with your, your meditation days. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> well, I mean, not, it wasn't the entire time, but like, yeah, so I worked through those and I was like, and I would search for, different intervals that I could kind of latch onto to quickly recognize like um um like say for C G E and B which is the open voicing major seventh chord I'd look for that major sixth between the G and the E um um I find that tritones are really easy visually to um see and kind of like understand in an intuitive level so like when i would do the dominant seventh chords and i'd go through all the circle of fifths um and i do those in open voicing as well so c g b and then or er, uh, c g e and then b flat mm -hmm. and so i'd search for that um i'd search for that tritone and um then i then i just do like i keep on going through these circle of fifths and um um like i 
I intuitively discovered that like if you do a major so a major chord and then you add the sixth to it, that's a first inversion uh, dominant seventh chord. So like your your C major with an added six, so C E G A. That's mm. if you bring the A back down, that's A C E G. That's a mi or sorry minor seventh chord. Um, and so like. And I just figured that out intuitively, just kind of like giving myself a lot of ample time to think about the piano and yeah, in a creative uh, way, like not with pressures of learning things or practicing arpeggios or anything. So, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I um, I did a little bit of scale work as well um, in my head. Um, Especially so like there's this exercise that you can do on the piano where if you're doing your scales um, They're grouped into three notes and four notes um, Where so like CDE or your one two and your three finger and then you have to cross under for your thumb and mm. so it's then it's thumb uh, pointer middle ring uh, for the FGB, uh, FGAB. So it's like these groups of three and then groups of four and then groups of three and groups of four. And mm. you can go all the way up. And so I would play those as blocked chords rather than rather than um, like just scalar passages. Mm -hmm. And I would try and do that just with right hand and then just with left hand and then try and do them mentally um, with both hands and all the while paying attention to this um paying attention to what the meditation teacher kept on calling like maintaining your equanimity okay. um or this this kind of sense of like yeah like i got this like this isn't so bad but i could d really tell like as i um if i didn't pay attention to maintaining my like tranquil state or equanimous state that I would, um, I'd like kind of get a little bit anxious about like, just like doing it fast enough or, or like figuring mm. stuff out. So like I, I wanted to make sure that I was maintaining this relaxed state as I was attempting these kind of mental gymnastics. Um, but yeah, so I, I like, I came away from the retreat just feeling like I learned a lot about piano without even touching um, a, an instrument at all. And so... Well, that, that's a pretty crazy question then, right? Is like, to what extent um, is physical practice necessary? Like, how much of it is, is you being able to mentally, like, replicate things? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that reminds me of um, when I was doing psych stuff at UCSB. Mm -hmm. it, uh, I came across a study of like Olympic divers and mm -hmm. it was about um, they had different groups that had people that would and they would skew this ratio of mental practice to physical practice mm -hmm. um, and I don't remember like the exact numbers or um, all, all that they concluded like the people that practiced the most weren't the most effective in mm -hmm. that study, in that study. Mm -hmm. um, so it was I think it was still a majority of physical practice, but there were, you know, 30%, maybe 40% mental practice in there as well. Mm -hmm. um, made more of a difference than, you know, 90 to 10, for example, mm -hmm. which I thought was 
pretty great. Yeah, that, I mean, there's definitely something to be said about like the, just the inner game or the, the cerebral part of music. Um, I, I don't think that beginners would get as much benefit to mental practice as say somebody who has a ton of time under their belt and knows their instrument decently well. Does that make sense? It does. I'm seeing if I agree or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you're right. I, like you, you can learn, you can learn music. You can figure out figure figurations of your fingers or whatever, but you can't replace like it's a physical instrument, right? Yeah. This is where I agree with you. It's, it's so, especially, I, I mean, everything is physical. Piano is physical, but I, I think as a string player that viola and violin are incredibly physical and very weird um, with the bow hold and the way that you're holding it on your neck and like how comfortable that is and where your positions are across all of the, the whole mm. instrument, you know? Yeah. There's nothing that can replace like physically holding it and figuring out where those are. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the more, like the more proficiency you get with your instrument, the more accurately you can visualize your instrument and and imagine the sound that you're producing. Mm. Um, if you're more of a beginner and you're not quite sure on the actual distances between positions or between keys or whatever, um, there's less certainty in your, um, in your practice, I think. Sure. Because, or, because, or just flaws that you don't know about. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, um, I like, like you said, you can kind of do it wherever you go. Um, I think I, I did a decent amount of practice when I was in Germany. Uh, <laughs> when I was in Germany. Oh, yeah. Those are fun. Uh, um, like last year in February, um, just cause I didn't have a piano and, um, okay. and then like, you can just do it on planes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been doing it in class a lot recently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, actually I want to get your opinion on this because it's the sad truth that is that when I work a section really hard, especially one that like I've been having a lot of trouble with. And so I, I devote like a lot of time to it that day. I'll be mid conversation with people and I'll have the, the shapes inside my head. Mm -hmm. Um, like, or I'll be work. My brain will still be working on it. And, um, and one of the things that I wrote in my, in my journal about just kind of brainstorming about this topic is like, um, mental practice, should be as deliberate as like as um actual as physical practice um in the sense that like you like somehow i would like to be able to control when it is that i'm visualizing music and when i'm not because because some, sometimes i feel like i'm going like fucking insane oh I've been, <laughs> i was just gonna say that like i've been in places where that's I have like music in my head all the time. I'm, I'm having those figurations in my head all the time. And it's just like too much. 
too sensory <laughs> sensory overload. It's and like, I'm sick of it, but I can't stop it. It's like subconscious, you know. Yeah, I had the I end of I had I had the end of a. Uh, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, the first movement, like, like I just played it before going on my retreat, and it just like kept on playing over and over again. We had a <laughs> we had a really obnoxious showpiece in this collage. It was like very stereotypical, like musical theater, jazzy. Yeah. Um, and it was just incessant. Every single time I'd turn away after the concert, I would have it pop up in my head again be like i'm really sick of this to the people i was hanging out with and then literally not 10 seconds later be <laughs> whistling it again <laughs> it just like pops up it's insane but yeah i think like if you're if you're trying to practice deliberately another thing that practicing deliberately gives you is like the peace of mind when you don't feel like practicing because you're like i have devoted this amount of time at this time in the day to all of these things mm-hmm. and it just because i'm um, hearing it or like seeing it now, you know, doesn't mean that that work was ineffective. Like I don't have to worry about mm-hmm. practicing more today. It'll be more tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you figured out anything that works well for you for like uh, turning your brain off when you want it to be off? Mm. Well, for, <laughs> for earworm stuff, I just have to listen to something better. <laughs> like I'll I'll put on Tribe Called Quest or something, something I can groove to a little bit. What what is earworm? Earworm is I think that's a music. Yeah, it's a term for something that gets stuck in your head, like a loop. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it digs in there. It crawls yeah. in there. Oh God, it's like awful. a tapeworm. That's what yeah. That's what the Schubert, <laughs> Schubert Unfinished Symphony is. Oh, okay. It's, um, da 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 da, and it's just for some reason just latches in my head all the time hmm. yeah i um today i like i had a practice session for like an hour and a half and i was just starting to feel pretty mentally exhausted so i went to do like my mid-morning meditation and my mind was was like agitated for like the first 30 minutes and i there was like this subtle change and all of us in this one moment i was like ah yeah like this is the this is the equanimous feeling that i remember Hmm. um and so immediately i just checked the time because i wanted to see i wanted to see how long it actually took to like get that sensation that i am so familiar with but like knew i wasn't experiencing and it Hmm. it took 30 minutes of silence wow uh just to like get rid (laughs) get rid of that noise and then i went for like i went for 40 minutes so i i kind of existed in that nice state not doing anything for like 10 minutes that's interesting um, but um the times that i've meditated like i do half an hour tops you know yeah. it's very difficult yeah. to stay like that yeah um on, on the retreat that i went to like we would do hour just hour sittings all the time and it was just like it was so painful at the beginning and it still is kind of painful now uh but um but it makes every other sit like that's slightly shorter just like much more much more manageable and and i had a relaxed day today i didn't have to like do any Mm. any work so it made it easier to like commit to that length of time 
Definitely. I found that that's another can of worms. You should, we should talk about meditation. Mm. One of our, one mm. of our podcasts, but it seems like there are a lot of variations that you can do. This mm-hmm. is, I was trying it on my own. I didn't like read a lot about it or anything. It's like what you can pay attention to and what you can visualize. It seems, seems mm-hmm. important. I've definitely like, since I've been at school, um, have in the practice room for the most part, except this last week, cause it was so busy. Like that's why I turned the lights off, right? Like I'll yeah. turn the lights off and I'll do, um, I'll warm up by playing like double stops. I'll play like the D and the A strings at once. Mm, and that okay. like that relaxes my bow hand a lot because to have an even sound that's kind of soft, like you have to have really good, good technique in your right hand. So if you're bringing any tension in, into the practice room with you, like you'll, you'll get it out in that exercise. And mm-hmm. also it's like a drone. So when it's dark and you're like doing that, you can just breathe to it and it just totally mm. relaxes you, you know, and you, maybe you can play a note, you like play your first finger, make sure the intonation is like absolutely perfect. And then you can like go back to the open strings and see how that felt. Mm-hmm. You know? And then like literally five minutes of that, 10 minutes of that. I'm like, okay, ready to do some work now. Yeah. I'm now in the space to practice where I wasn't before. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like you, that's like a very effective way of actually meditating at your instrument. Um, um, I don't know if I've found a analog to that on piano. Um, just, um, I guess I could just repeatedly hit a single note <laughs> over and yeah, over again. maybe. Uh, or like a nice chord that you like with a, with a pedal or something, just listen to it. Yeah. In the dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I've been I've been meditating with my hands on the keyboard, uh, mm. actually on on like the groups of three and groups of two, like we had been talking about earlier. To oh. find it, so I've been doing that. My uh, one of my friends who I really actually want to get on the podcast to talk with him. Um, he's a French horn player, and he was on the meditation retreat, and like five days after the retreat. I was uh, I was on the phone with him and he was telling me he's just been sitting with his horn. He hasn't played a note yet. He's like, I'm taking it super slow. Uh, <laughs> uh, he hasn't played a note yet. Um, he's still just meditating. He's doing his like hour long meditations with his horn and looking for any sort of um, anxiety or emotion or physical yeah. sensation that creeps up. Um, so You know, that reminds me of... Um a story that my teacher from New Hampshire told me about, like when he was, he used to live with his teacher yeah. um, and she was in a quartet of some kind and like he would listen to them and watch them rehearse all the time. But he'd also hear her warm up every day. Like, cause mm. she li- they lived together. So like he would hear, <laughs> hear like what her habits were. And he said like pretty much the only thing she ever practiced was a super slow um, three octave scale um, just focusing on passing vibrato from note to note, mm. you know, and like, as we talk about that in our lesson, you ha- in order to do that, you have to be really relaxed if it's slow, um, mm-hmm. in order to be, to sustain that kind of playing. So he's saying, that's just what she worked on. Just even tone, perfect intonation, traveling vibrato. And then she sit down after that and play crazy quartet shit. <laughs> you know, I just be able to do yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah. I think there's something to that. Like you're just so familiar and comfortable with everything about your instrument that you can just do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I, 
I noticed uh, one of my practice sessions that I'm thinking about this week, this last week, and just like, uh, I don't know if this is a bad thing or not, where just the first five minutes I knew kind of sucked <laughs> and I was like missing notes and chipping notes and stuff. Mm. And it gradually improved, but maybe I should just attempt something that's a little easier. Uh, to get my head in in the space of playing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It depends on what yeah what place you're in with it. I think. Yeah, I, I bet everyone's everyone has a preference to what they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Like if I didn't, those drone things are you know they're really really simple. You do that when you've just started playing the viola, you know. If, yeah. Like if you can, I, I'd imagine if you just do that fundamental stuff all the time. That's what I find. I'm like the most comfortable when I play crazy stuff. If I'm just doing really slow arpeggios, you know, in my practice mm. sessions and not trying yeah. to do them fast or whatever. It's just like perfect. Try to. Mm. And that's sort of another thing that I've been noticing about being here is that you have a chamber chamber coaching or something. You play your chamber yeah. music or your orchestra and like you're playing out of tune maybe or like maybe your rhythm's not perfect. Yeah. Um, and I think it it's maybe important like and I haven't done this yet this is why I'm talking about it is uh to like hold yourself to a high like a higher standard in your practice room. Mm -hmm. So that yeah. you don't you're, you're not like I have time to hit all of these things cuz I'm practicing slowly. It's like no, I'm going to play this in tune right now. And I'm going to be relaxed about it. Like I'm not going to be stressed about <laughs> playing it perfectly, yeah. but I'm going to play it perfectly right now. Like I'm not yeah. going to be lazy about it. You know, does that make sense? It's a small difference, but yeah. Um, I I remember going through a similar mindset of like, I mean, obviously you want to maintain this mindset for a long time, but uh, a couple months ago, where like expect or like don't. Uh, expect perfection and really aim to grasp that and um, while also not developing these negative unwholesome states within yourself of like self-deprecation <laughs> or whatever but um, um, but I'd have a general idea of what you're talking about of just like having a higher setting your setting a higher standard for yourself mm -hmm. um, I found that um like, in the last, so the last year I took off, like I had seven months without having a teacher. Yeah. Um, and during that time, I thought I practiced really well and I thought I made some improvements, but as soon as I was around people again and performing, I was, I had like no confidence. And I think that was because in my practice, I was being sort of lazy about hitting stuff on the spot because I had so much time to practice. Yeah. So it became about like just, getting everything absolutely perfect and not trying to push it at all. Mm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm, that and like, so, so like it's, I, I feel like I just contradicted myself, but it's really just about, um, in, in the moment, not, um, no, in the moment being confident that you'll hit it even when you're practicing. Does that make sense? Um, I think so. You have to somehow we have to bridge the gap between how you how you can have this like high standard in practice and then bring it to 
actual play or to actual performance. Um, because would you say that you were ha having the high standards for yourself in those seven months um, of demanding perfection? Yeah, but it was a different, it was a different kind. I think it was a, a not confident kind of standard. So it'd be like, I can't play this fast at all ever. <laughs> I'm not physically not capable of playing this fast. Yeah. Okay. Cause it won't be perfect. But then like when you're actually playing, like you never play perfectly. It's not a thing really, <laughs> you know, like yeah. when you're, when you're in orchestra rehearsal, you like, you have a recital or something and like, you don't play perfectly. It doesn't happen. Mm. You yeah. aim, you aim for that. But like, if you're thinking that I'm going to play perfectly or not at all, that's, a problem. Mm. I think that's what I was doing. Mm. Yeah. That reminds me of a, like I'm notorious in my yoga class for just assuming I can't do the harder stuff. And mm. then my like teacher will slap me on the wrist and be like, no, you're going to try this. Um, and to, to me, you alone in your practice room, like your unconfident self is like me just assuming I can't do it. <laughs> and so not, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that's exactly right. So there's no replacement to that other than like, you just have to be in that place a lot. You have to be, your, your technique needs to be like exposed often in front of people. Yeah. I think that was, mm -hmm. at least for me, like I need that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I actually, I busked yesterday. I brought my piano out to Whole Foods and, um, and and I also brought it on Valentine's Day, which was this last Tuesday. Um, and on on the Tuesday, I felt like kind of a little bit sloppy. <laughs> um, and just like, just being out in public helps you see yourself for what you really are. Um, Definitely. Definitely. And, it, and it isn't until, it isn't until people are in front of you that you end up being more critical on yourself. Mm -hmm. um, the trick is just not is being as critical as you should be like finding the stuff that's actually dirt, but not just miss miss that something is actually fine. Um, and you're just choosing to view it as not good. Like, Definitely. You, have, like you have to just see things as they are, see things clearly. Mm -hmm. That was one of the, I had a really good lesson with someone in New Hampshire mm -hmm. recently. Yeah. And that was, that was what we talked about. It was like, in your practice, you need to be able to identify what's going well, what you're doing well, what's good about your playing, in addition to what's bad. It's just as important. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah. really? Because <laughs> I you know, naturally just never acknowledge <laughs> when stuff is working. It's just like, everything sucks. <laughs> you have to, I think as a, um, as when you also teach, because so, I, I do a decent amount of teaching. I don't know how much you do now, but. Yeah, not a lot yet, but it's coming. <laughs> I have, I've been seriously practicing uh, um, the shit sandwich as my, as one of my teachers calls it with my student. So, so I, I give them um, something that they're doing well and then a critique and then something that they're doing well um, to like kind of pad the, insult or not even insult but just uh, correction and um hopefully that translates into the way i handle dealing with myself 
I definitely noticed that from my year of teaching. Like it was, um, I was trying not to be a hypocrite. <laughs> yeah. In my own practice session. So I was trying to, yeah, practice what you preach a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it's nearing four o'clock and uh, I have to get going. I'm going to a master class tonight. Okay. Um, where, where, who? Uh, it's, uh, his name's Dan Glover. Um, it's in Walnut Creek. Um, I'm a part of the Bay Area Piano Enthusiasts. It's just a meetup group. And um, they offer these like free gatherings. Well, sometimes free. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, so. Um, so that's uh, just an opportunity to be around some other piano players, other musicians. Yeah, sounds awesome, man. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for it. I'm going to probably promote this a little bit, this podcast. Um. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, we got to start telling our friends. And for you listeners, tell your friends. And then if everyone tells each one friend or two friends, then it grows exponentially. And then soon the whole world will know about us. Right. will be the biggest yeah. thing ever. Perry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Spot is taken. All right. Well, All right. Um, cool. Well, I thought this went went pretty well for not knowing what the hell we were going to talk about. So definitely. <laughs> okay. Uh, see you later. See you guys. Bye-bye. All right. Signing off. Hi there. This is Eric here. I just wanted to thank you for listening into the Musical Minds podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, as you hear from every other show, if you could please like or subscribe and comment, that really, really helps with our visibility, especially as a new podcast. So I really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. It really does make a difference in being able to have feedback to be able to fine tune what is resonating with you guys, the listeners. Remember, there are so many musicians out there in the world just wanting to better themselves. You're not alone, even though it can feel really, really lonely sometimes. I can totally understand that. Uh, You can find me at ericreinhartpiano.com. That's E-R-I-C-R-I-N-E-H-A-R-T for recordings and information about Skype piano lessons. Until next time, continue feeding the fire of your musical passions and developing your musical mind.